0: Strategic Hotbox with Dr. Brandi Love Stankovic. Discussing leadership, business, and how to take control of your life and achieve greatness. From the streets of Las Vegas, energized, informed, and never diluted. It's time to kick some ass. Hey everybody, it's your girl, Dr. Brandi Stankovic, and I'm so glad you're back with me today. And our topic today is you're weird i'm not weird you're weird and we have a subject matter expert who's probably also pretty weird and it's going to teach us all about how beautiful and amazing it is to be weird and that's miss melina palmer and we'll get to know her here in just a second let's get started at the strategic Hotbox, as you know we like to get a little weird from time to time and we learn we love and we kick ass have you ever been called a nerd have you ever been called a geek? And I know that I have certainly been called that, and I've maybe called people that from time to time. And I've even uh, listened to a speaker earlier this week that asked people to raise their hand, where are my geeks at in the room? And then kind of did like a little air fist pump out to the people that were in the audience. That He's like, yeah, okay, it's my geeks. And I, I didn't know exactly how geeky that was, but there was some bonding that occurred uh, to those people in the audience. And in that moment, I was thinking about that Bill Gates quote where he said, uh, be nice to nerds. Chances are you'll end up working for for one. And, it, and it's just so true that, and you think about kids that that it's almost not cool to be nerdy. But as you grow up as as an adult, that that being engaged in your own nuances, being an, a, a you know one that's eager to learn, being somebody that that wants to 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 be curious and learn about different things and and be a little nerdy is exactly who we who we should be. And have you ever been called weird? And I think that weird, as a definition, is strange or extraordinary. It's like this characteristic. Of being odd or even like kind of fantastic and weird can be really cool. It's like the idea of demonstrating some sort of unknown, like like that's that's weird. Like you ever heard something or somebody's telling you something and it happens and you're like ooh weird. And it's it's something that's really intriguing or makes other people want to know. And people let's face it, can be really weird. And in consumer behavior today, in the world of, of member experience, in the world of customer experience today, we have expectations that things are all about us. That thing that that my internet knows me, my social media aggregate knows exactly the person that I am and gives it to me exactly how I want it. And all of these things are built around me and my own weirdness. And leadership, thus, really has to be a little weird as well. And let's think about it. Sometimes people and, and nuances are mystifying, and it changes so often. Moods and people and, and behaviors change so often that it's hard to understand the direction and where people are going. And the guest that we're going to bring on here in just a second is an expert in these behaviors economics and we're going to talk to her about what that means and how she digs into to how weird consumers really can be and how changing just little things can change how people act and react just changing a sentence or changing messaging can impact return or how tapping into somebody's subconscious can happen with with just the the, the impact of a color and I remember reading an article uh, in in years gone by probably five years ten years ago now about how Google spent millions and millions of dollars trying to find tune the color blue that they use you know, just to increase click-throughs and things that are happening on google and that you know the, the i think it's the g that is is blue on google and they just went through all of these studies to make sure that people are are really attracted to those colors that are online and isn't that interesting and the fact that that colors can change the way that we that we do and we make purchase decisions, and so it's really about understanding what our customers are, but also about being smart in how how much you are manipulated, you know, in that consumer behavior environment. So in leadership, it's also being aware of how important our message is and how important language is in in how we communicate. That we have to be clear and we have to be to be open to having direct communication with with the people that we're around, but also being as authentic as we possibly can be because creating buy-in with a team is about making them feel good about the relationship. And then sales and some of the conversations that we've had in recent podcasts or creating kind of influence or followership, it really, that becomes a lot easier when people like being around you. Right. And I think that that's all part of this in this being weird and and, and being different and and understanding that it it all comes together. So how do we utilize these different understandings of people in order to be better leaders? And that's essentially the topic that we're that we're going to dig into today. So without uh, any further ado, I think that we should just bring in our expert and get down to business. And so let's talk to Melina Palmer. She is a professional uh, speaker, keynote speaker, and she's going to talk to us about translating consumers. Consumer behavior to create better leaders and teams. She's the host of the Brainy Business Podcast, and she uses, as I mentioned, behavioral economics to help companies and entrepreneurs to better understand the psychology of why people do what they do, why they purchase, why they buy, and how we really can understand messaging and branding and advertising, pricing products, and how all of that can be a little bit more brain friendly. And so we can do, as consumers, why we do what we do and so companies can give it to us exactly how we want it. So I'd like to welcome Melina Palmer. Hello, Melina. Hi, Brandy. Thanks for having me. I'm glad that you're here. Me too. <laughs> and so, is your uh, uh, business pod, your brainy business podcast all about the business of the brain and how we use the brain to, to make some of these decisions?
1: Yes, it is. It's all about behavioral economics and how people can apply it in their businesses and to learn more about what they do and um, everything about themselves as consumers. So it's about, in some episodes, I'll dig into a specific concept. Like I'll just talk about uh, loss aversion or anchoring mm-hmm. and adjustment. And on other episodes, I talk about what businesses need to learn from Apple Card or Costco mm-hmm. and, and things like that.
0: So do, have, do you remember that example I gave with Google and the
1: color blue? I haven't heard that specific example from Google. I definitely, you know, I have made a mental note to look it up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I have a color theory episode coming soon, but I'm not surprised. I know that for the Boeing Dreamliner, they spent millions, if not billions of dollars Mm -hmm. looking into the lighting that they wanted to do and similar aspects with the color blue that they were going to be putting in there. And, you know, red makes you hungry and Mm -hmm. blue makes you feel safe and all these different things that are associated with color. It's really amazing. And like you said, then the shades within, it's not just one specific blue, but this blue versus that one.
0: Right. So tell us a little bit about your journey in leadership. You know, I have been,
1: I've now learned the term, I guess it's called a polymath, but I'm one of those people that I find everything to be fascinating. Uh And I will jump from, you know, one topic to the next. And I'm always excited to be learning and looking into innovation and how the way that animals think is similar to humans and all sorts of different aspects. And I've been able to bring that together in the podcast, but my journey was I started working at an advertising agency out of college and started my own business very quickly after that, doing grant writing and marketing and work for credit unions. And in that space for a while before I went to work at a credit union where I ran the marketing department for six years before starting the brainy business and doing all of this full time while I got my masters in behavioral economics.
0: Wow. That's great. And I think that, uh, overall behavioral economics is, it applies in across all sorts of, of functions within the organization, not just marketing, but everything that we do as leaders.
1: Yes, absolutely. One of the things that I did at the credit union that I know is not common in every industry, and it's not common amongst credit unions either is you know, you tend to find very siloed departments Mm -hmm. in a business and where marketing is sort of at war with finance. And sometimes you have that lending and marketing don't communicate well together and things like that. And for me, it was about breaking down those silos and being really open and communicating with the executive team and working closely with HR and with finance and lending and spending time in the branches and having a really holistic approach to understanding what mattered to everybody and how to properly message that as well as how to then communicate that into what products we were promoting when we built products and how things showed up on the website and talking to the board, you know, everybody has a different need Mm -hmm. that they, the thing they need to hear or see or do. And so, understanding that and working it into your communication has always been something that's a big part of my leadership style.
0: So you used the term right off the bat that I'm not sure I know what it means. And what is a polymath? Poly polymath? <laughs> polymath? Oh, I just found this
1: um, yesterday. I think I was reading articles on Medium, and so a polymath is someone who, you know, the old adage was being a you know, jack of all trades, master of none, and Mm -hmm. that that was bad. And now they are finding that people who are doing a lot of reading and become experts in specific, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Tesla and Elon Musk and all these different people, um, that they end up actually doing better and having this advantage over others when you are able to then be more innovative in the way that you think, because you're bringing different aspects of one thing that may seem completely unrelated into this other area and you create something completely new, which is really what behavioral economics even is, which I guess is part of why I was destined for the field.
0: Mm -hmm. And so tell us what is behavioral economics then? Behavioral
1: economics I like to say is that if traditional economics and psychology had a baby, we would end <laughs> up with behavioral economics. It's and the reason it came about is because traditional economic models are built on Uh, assumptions of logical people making rational choices and unfortunately that's not really the world that we live in that's not how people are and so models would not accurately predict behavior people can't say what they're going to do they often do different things than what they say or think that they're going to do and so psychologists and economists started working together or entering into one another's fields to try to find these common threads these links in the brain uh, to see if there was a way that we could predict behavior and understand why people make the decisions they make and how that applies to buying decisions. And really it's all decisions across the way that our, our brains make choices. And the good news is while we are very illogical, uh, we are predictable.
0: Yeah. So even in our weirdness, there is, uh, some that, you know, like there's some predictableness, there's that there's some mass to the weirdness.
1: Absolutely. And it's it's very predictable in that. So if you think about your brain, mm-hmm. the, this is where it's weird. This is why I say that consumers are weird. People are weird. When you think about your brain and what it does, you know it's powerful, you know it's doing a lot of things. But all that you can really relate to, the only things when you think my brain does this, anything that comes up for you is in your conscious or cognitive brain space. Mm -hmm. And you know you have a subconscious brain. You know stuff's happening below the surface, whether you know about it or not. We don't really realize how much impact it's having. And the highest study that I've seen is putting the subconscious processing at 99.9% 99% Nine nine percent of your decision making for every person. Mm-hmm. The lowest I've seen is 95%. So if we say it's even just 99, that's a lot that's going on where your brain is making choices based on rules of thumb that it's set up over time, either we have as a species or that are pertinent to you in your own life. And you don't really realize what your brain is doing a lot of the time because it's using these rules to make choices.
0: So um, I'm not sure that I I followed that completely. So 99% of what's happening, you don't even know that it's happening. Is that what you're saying? Pretty much, yeah. So if you think about
1: the example I like to give is if you think about when you learn to drive a car, Mm And it was a very difficult and cumbersome process. And you're worried about where your hands are and where Mm -hmm. you're looking in the mirrors and everything. And over time, it got to be easier. Now, you know, potentially you drove into the studio and didn't have to think about any of those things until maybe, and especially maybe not so much in Vegas, but if you're driving, it's pouring rain, you're between a semi-truck and a guardrail, and then you feel tense up. Uh Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it gets uh, really focused. That's when your subconscious has essentially flagged your conscious brain to say, okay, it's time for you to focus on this. You need to take the reins and move forward and do this for us now. That's really And interesting. so, yeah, your brain's doing that all the time. So, your subconscious, I like, to say, it's like the gatekeeper mm-hmm. or the receptionist. So, it's just scanning the world around you and saying, I have a role for that. I know how to handle that. I can do that. And then, Like, that was weird. Hey, conscious brain, your turn.
0: And it, I was I, actually last night I was having a dance party with my children. I'm mean, Just a nice. natural, you know, Wednesday night activity. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I was with them and or I guess it was a Tuesday night. What, what even day is it? I don't even know what day it is. But the, uh, nonetheless, we were, I was having a dance party with my children and in the process of the dance party we were, uh, my son wants to learn how to salsa dance. And so I was trying to teach him how to salsa dance and it was such a aggressive moment of stomping around with his feet. Like, you know, like we were I'm like, okay, line this, step back this. And it was just kind of this, and he was almost making it harder on himself than the actual steps will be ultimately when he gets it. And my husband was saying to me like, why is it so hard in that moment? And I'm like, first of all, says the guy who doesn't salsa dance. Second of all, (laughs) um, that we were also talking about jumping, jumping rope. Like for people that learn first learn to jump rope, they add extra jumps when they're jumping You know and it it's actually harder but then once you learn a jump rope it's it's much much easier and it's amazing how the brain kind of can relax into things and do things in the subconscious where you even forget that you drove you don't even know how you drove things happen without even any thought and that almost has become scary the subconscious in in a sense Exactly.
1: And so the advice I give to people, if they want to be more innovative, you can train your brain like other muscles. So if you want to break out of some of those habits, when you take a different route to work, or if you were to think about, if you were to put on your makeup with your other hand... Mm -hmm. And how long it would take you to do that, even though you've been doing your makeup for years, it makes a big difference. Or for men, it could be brushing your teeth with Mm -hmm. your other hand. And even those small things can make your brain more alert and looking for different ways to accomplish things and help you to see other examples, not with these rules of thumb. And the way we approach meetings is the same way as where you kind of get into a groove at your job, where you've been there for 10 years or how. However long and you've been in meetings with the same people and you know that you know so and so is going to react this way and this person's going to refute what I have to say um, that you're just gearing yourself up for what you think will happen but that is kind of setting it up we get what we expect so if you go in with more of an open mind you can have a different experience and hopefully you know you want some of the flow like you said with salsa dancing Mm -hmm. and getting into a groove with things but you also want to have this open-minded experience and being able to kind of understand your own brain so you can have a better time in life and in work
0: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that it's uh, a couple things. One, if I put my makeup on with the other hand, I you, know, you don't even want to know. Like, it'd be look like a walk of shame or something. Um, the, the second piece of that is that that they say, like with Alzheimer's and some of the the degenerative diseases of the brain, that that's some of the best ways to combat some of that it is to 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 continue to grow with the brain by using you know your your other hand and things and using to continue to to, to force yourself to to create new synapses. And so I think I love the idea of that. It also is making me think of Pavlov, right? And the fact that we have physiological responses to these brain patterns that we create. And so behavioral economics then kind of builds on that and how do we capitalize that as a business?
1: Right, and that's, you know, looking at habits and what the actual cue is that causes the dog to salivate. Mm -hmm. Our brains are always looking for rewards in that same way. So the subconscious brain, which drives most of our decision-making is very much driven by rewards like dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin and it knows where to get those. So if you know every day when you're driving home or into work and you get this urge that you have to pull into the Starbucks to get that sugary fix Mm -hmm. and you feel like you can't break the cycle, if you were to just take a different route on the way home, potentially it wouldn't cue your brain because you're not driving by the Starbucks. So your brain's not looking for that Mm -hmm. reward that it Mm -hmm. wants to get. So little to tweaks can help you to break cycles, but trying to force yourself the willpower
0: in to the say same no pattern. subconscious.
1: Yeah, which is true with addiction and
0: everything else too. <laughs> so how can leaders then apply some of this in the, how does it apply to leaders and how do they apply it in the workplace?
1: The I love talking about change management and how that all comes in for a business. And one of the examples that I always give is um, moving desks, which seems like the world like is ending stress, when you tell people. Yes, no doubt about it. <laughs> right, you might be getting a raise and a new job, but you have to go over but there. I have and to move like, seats. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know it's like Milton from Office Space. Yeah. You know, um, so what you want to really realize, and what I talk about with pricing is, so price is never about price. In the same way that getting someone to move their desk, it's, or having any change that they're going on, even when money's not changing hands, it's all the stuff that comes first, that matters more than in buying products than price and in change management than the suggested change that you're giving to somebody. So in the case of moving a desk, The thing that most people do wrong is you assume that you know that they're not going to be happy. You don't think it's going to be a good situation. And so you prime them in this context of saying, oh, you know, I know that you had to move, you know, about 18 months ago and you just got settled into this desk and you're Mm -hmm. not going to like it, but you got to move. Right. Mm -hmm. So you've set them up. There's no way they're going to feel good about Uh it. Right. Right. Right and people are very loss averse, and they don't want to give up what they have. But if you set up this new desk, this new situation, as this optimum show that you put in the work and say, hey, I know that a window is really important to you, we're going to be moving, but I met with facilities, I found the best possible window. Mm -hmm. And this is such a great desk, you're not going to have the glare like you have in Mm -hmm. this spot, you know, and I want to make sure that I've addressed all your needs before we sign off on this spot. Mm-hmm. Can you see yourself happy working here? Yeah, I love that. It's a it's a very different experience for them and it's not about the old desk at all, it's now looking to this future experience. And if you could see yourself happy there, to which the answer is probably yes. And then you can move forward.
0: I love that. It's almost like the real estate way to do it. Like when you go to a house, (laughs) because couples love, or people love to go to a house and, Ooh, this could be our living room. And this could be our, and it's almost the idea of allowing somebody to go visualize themselves in a new space, as opposed to saying, okay, grab your stuff. It's time to right. where well, you have to move. And I Absolutely. totally agree with the disclaimers. So often leaders will set up people with disclaimers. Don't put your story into their into their heads before you even begin.
1: Well, and if you do put a good one. Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> you have the opportunity to prime it so you can right. set it up in a in a great way. So, uh, what you were talking about there with real estate, absolutely. That's uh, perceived ownership. And there are tons of studies that being able to touch something and have your senses experience it, make it so that you are going to be much more likely to feel like you have ownership over that. You don't want to give it up, uh, whether it's taking them to what the new desk would look like or, you know, however that would be, it can make a really big difference.
0: And I always talk to leaders from a personal leadership standpoint about uh, the stories that they tell people about themselves too, right? So one, positive self-talk, especially if they're going into something that's that's really stressful and not to be like, oh, I can't do this and oh, I'm not good enough and, oh, and just inside to be like, you're such a badass. Like you're about to just make this shit happen and just, I mean, no one can hear you, right? Just be like, you're so gangster. Get up there and just do your gangster thing. But then also, so often people will start speaking and saying, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm really nervous, but, or I'm not really good at this, but, and then talk, going, Hey, people are going to already in their head, think about you being shitty. Don't do it for them. You know what I mean? Like, don't <laughs> fill that gap already. Allow people to to create their own judgments because there's a good chance they won't in the same way right. that you do.
1: And if you go into the situation with that confidence, I've had, I am probably the person that has had everything go wrong in a presentation um, where, you know, video doesn't work clothing snafus, whatever it is, <laughs> and you just move forward through it uh, with confidence so that they don't have to see all of what's happening. When we talk about the subconscious brain, it can take in about 11 million bits of information per second compared to Whoa. your conscious, which can only do 40, Whoa. just 40 <laughs> Yeah. So when you're kept focusing on attention, your subconscious is scanning through and just filtering out tons of stuff. So anything that is maybe a little bit off, though, or if you have a a, a slight, you're not very confident, or you're hunched over, you know, that's where your the subconscious is going to flag the conscious brain and say, "I don't like this person. I don't know what they're doing wrong, but I don't think this is good." So they're pull it's pulling in this perception about the person who's speaking and building this picture mm-hmm. where it's not necessarily letting the conscious know. So if you can, like you said, go into a space saying, yeah, I'm, I'm going to kick, uh, you know, kick an ass today. It's going to be great. And you move forward. It's a very different experience and the brain can pick up on that.
0: Wow. So you said, uh, clothing snafus, uh, and so it, you know, do you have any funny stories or something that you can share? Clothing or otherwise? Oh yeah,
1: I know. I ha- I do have a funny story. I thought about that um, clothing one, but um, I have a a better one. I think that I'm going to go ahead and use for you here today. <laughs> so um, when I was working at the credit union, I like to come up with these brain association things. So I was doing a promotion where. we were talking about auto loan refinancing. And so I decided to find a car that we could cut in half and put one half in the mall. And then you could sit in it and take pictures. And it was about how cutting the car is, you know, it's better to cut your rate than cut your car. So, the the one we found was in this barn. It had been sitting in a barn for like 50 years or something ridiculous, this old car. And we did the whole video and got it set up. And it was around the holidays to get good foot traffic. And on the Monday before Thanksgiving, I got a call from one of the malls saying that the door had fallen off <laughs> of the car. And so they had stanchioned it off with like caution. Don't look at this. It's a hazard. Oh, no. signs. And wanted to let me know that two mummified rats had had fallen out when the door came off and they wanted to know if I wanted them back or if it was okay for them to throw them away. And so I then had to scramble and find a welder that could put a door back on, you know, the day before Black Friday and all of that. So, You're like,
0: well, well, first of all, take our our credit union logo off while we throw the rats away, and <laughs> right. then put the sign, then put the sign back up while the caution tape is visible. Let's take our brand down, and then, right. oh my goodness gracious, oh, uh, can you share a bold action item or takeaway for our listeners?
1: I think the biggest bold action item that I would have for people is really to look at everything that you're doing and to understand the little things that you might be doing that make a really big difference and to be willing to put out big numbers when you're talking about negotiations or putting information out there. I have an example where uh, companies have had um, a success rate increasing sales by 38% by changing and incorporating a big number instead of. having like the word them. So Mm -hmm. throwing out big numbers can be helpful for you in negotiations.
0: Love that. Thank you. And how can people get a hold of you?
1: You can find me on social media as the brainy biz anywhere, or you can come over to the website, thebrainybusiness.com and find the podcast and speaking information. And you can always email me, Melina at thebrainybusiness.com.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. You have my brain going in a million different directions. Absolutely love that fact of the 40 things um, being accepted into the conscious brain, but the 11 million into the subconscious. Love it. Thank you so much for being here and and providing some of this information to all of us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Hope to see you soon. Let's head out to our shout out. Hi, Brandy. Wish you were here. We're gonna rock the house tonight. Wish you guys were here to come watch us tear these trucks off. El Toro Loco, woo! All right, shout out from Monster Trucks. It is so fun to see the Monster Trucks and shout out for those that were out there at Monster Jam. And thank you again to Molina for being here with us today, it is time for us to kick some ass. So, here's top five kick ass when it comes to being weird and getting weird in our leadership and business. First is to indulge in that, indulge in the strange. Understand that each of us is a little bit different. Each of us have those nuances that are strange, and understand those that strangeness in yourself as well as the people around you, and know that we're all a little just just unique. And not everybody's going to want the message the same way that that you want it. Not everybody's going to want to receive things in the same way that you deliver it. And understanding people and their own perspectives is key to being great at what you do. Number two is know the message, actually what the message is and the ultimate result of getting that message across. If you know what that message is and how it's received, little things like numbers can make a big impact. Number three is to review it and don't be afraid to revise it. What worked, what worked well yesterday doesn't necessarily work well tomorrow. What has worked, tried and true for the last 10 years, that doesn't mean it's going to be contemporary tomorrow. Just because you've been great and kicking butt for the last 25 years of your life does not mean you are going to be anything special tomorrow. It is about reviewing and revising and continuing to build and grow and get better and better every day. The fourth is authentic. Authenticity rules, I think, is, it is so important that we, in the the nature of our weirdness and the nature of what we're building and growing as leaders, is making sure to be true to ourselves And because people can see through it. We can feel it. It sounds like 11 million uh, things are being received into our, our subconscious brain at all times. People can just feel it and they can understand it. And so being authentic to us really does rule. And number five, encourage weirdness in the people around you. It's important to encourage those uh, others to be curious. To be intrigued, to want to build innovation, to go out there and strive to be a little nerdy from time to time. That's your top five kick ass. Mm-hmm. again to Melina so glad that she was here with us here on the hot box and thank you to all of you for joining us and continuing to join us on the podcast if you want to hear us or you know give us any topics things you want us to tackle on the podcast head on out to the strategichotbox.com or hit us up on social media at strategic hotbox on insta or at brandy love b-r-a-n-d-i-l-u-v on insta or twitter until i see you again get out there and kick some ass